Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. Well, this morning we're continuing in our essential series. And what we're doing as a church is we're stripping back um, things in our lives and we're trying to figure out what is actually essential for us as a church. Last week I shared, if you don't know this, Callie and I went from one child under three to three children under three uh, in December. And so when you have kids, you have to strip things back and figure out what's important. And so that's what we're doing as a church. Uh, back, we started January talking about prayer and fasting. Uh, Pastor Neil talked about that. The next week, we talked about finding your purpose. And the third week, I talked to y'all last week about spiritual formation. Um, and what we talked about is how if we're not careful and, and if we don't enter into a relationship with Jesus that is transforming us, we'll actually end up being transformed and changed by the world around us instead of the world around us being changed by us. And God has called us to mission. God has called us to make an impact in the world. Um, but in order for us to do that, we have to be in a relationship with Jesus where he is discipling us. Amen? I wonder if you've ever said something like this. I know I should pray, but I just don't feel like it. Come on, anybody, be honest. I've never felt like that. <laughs> just always want to pray. Listen. It's like, you, you know you should pray, but you just don't feel like it. Like you just can't seem to muster up the energy to want to do it. It's like, you don't want to bring the Lord your problems first. Oh, that happens to me all the time. Don't want to intercede for others when we know that they're struggling. And my hope is this morning that it would stir up your faith, that it would encourage you as, as you pursue the Lord. Um, and what we're ultimately doing is we're trying to set essential patterns in our life disciplines in our lives to help us resist being formed by the world and be formed by God. Everybody say the world. Sometimes when you read through the Bible, it's a little bit confusing, right? Because you read in there and it says that if we love the world, that the love of the Father is not in us. And you're like, but I love the beach, right? <laughs> like, I love my friends. I love good food. How, how do these things connect? You know, when the Bible says the world, it's not talking about the creation, it's talking about systems and powers and ways of the world that are attempting to undermine God's intentions for you, for those around us, and for his creation. A good translation for the world is everything that keeps you and me and us from what God intended. And so what we have to do is we have to develop, I'm going to call them patterns of resistance. Everybody say resistance patterns of resistance. One of the number one ways that you can resist the devil and that you can follow after God is to have a deep prayer life. And this has been something for me that I've been pursuing God on and trying to grow in over the past couple of years. And one of the most significant pieces of advice I've gotten, something that's really transformed my prayer life recently is when Callie and I were away, I was telling one of my pastors, I was like, I just want to connect with God during this time. He goes, well, you're going to have a lot of time in the middle of the night where the Lord wakes you up with crying babies and ha have time to pray. And 
it has helped. And so here's what I want to submit to you this morning. Last week, we talked about patterns, things that we can put in our life. This week, what I want us to think about specifically with prayer is that if for Jesus, getting away with God, getting into solitude and getting with his father was important, how essential and how important is it for us? And so question, how is your prayer life? What does that look like for you in your discipleship to Jesus? As we do that, we adopt his vision for the world and we partner with him. Um, I want to read a quote to you. This, this is what happens if we don't. And, and let, me, let me just say this. The devil has no fear of a gathered church. The devil has no fear of a gathered church. The devil has no fear of packed rooms. What, what the devil has fear of is a mobilized church. What the devil has fear of is a praying church. And so today we're gonna, we're, we're gonna kick the devil in the teeth a little bit, okay? So here's what happens if we are not people of prayer. John Tyson said this. He said, instead of being people who have good news to share, news that could transform the world, we become a people mired in the 24-hour news cycle, fed a consistent diet of hopelessness and despair. Our ability to dismiss the work of God in the church has become toxic. We're plagued by a lack of expectation and have begun to believe that this is all there is. Uh, Go with me to Luke. We're gonna be in Luke's gospel in chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight. When you got it, say, I got it. I'm waiting for everybody. You got it? Here's what it says. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that we should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. The widow of that city came to him repeatedly. Everybody say repeatedly. Saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. Who says that? I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't think So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and we're gonna jump into it. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that within your word is the pathway to life. God, the way that you've called us to live. And so God, I pray this morning that you would stir up our faith. Holy Spirit, empower us and be with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Rico. Have y'all ever had a friend who tells the same consistent joke or type of joke over and over and over again, and it's not funny. And in fact, you tell them, this is not funny. And they keep doing it, and then something strange happens. They keep it up, and at some point, what was not funny at all, because it's so unfunny, and they keep doing it, it becomes funny, right? 
I've got a friend. His name's Tad. He's my best friend. Uh, we've been best friends since we were 16 years old. We got saved together. We actually went to youth group where Neil and Gina were pastoring in 2006, something like that. And uh, Tad says this. He sells two-by-two two rubber tiles, and he says this. We talk every day, uh, maybe too much. Callie gets on to me because she's like, if something happens, Tad hears about it before I do, okay? I'm working on that. But, but he says this. He goes, you should, sell, you should buy rubber tire because I sure don't. I'm like, Tad, that is not funny. Like, 0% funny. He says it every day, all the time. And every time I tell him, like, Tad, quit saying that, man. That's your worst joke. It's like you're, you're doubling down on your worst joke. And the other day, I was talking to him on the phone, and we were talking about spiritual formation. I was joking. I was like, you should give in to spiritual formation, because I sure don't. And I was like, oh, no. He's gotten this terrible joke into my system through persistence, right? Can you think of some of them, right? There was the what up, like the, the Budweiser frog that, like, some of us are still making that joke. There was the, that's what she said right, from the office. The office spawned uh, a thousand terrible jokes. Boom, roasted. That's a, a common one around here. And I thought about, I thought about that this. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. This is how I feel every time I talk to Ted. Try, quit trying to make. You should do this because I sure don't happen. It's not going to happen. Here's a question. What happens if the world around us becomes more persistent in their view of how things should be than we are as Christians, we will begin to adopt and accept that view of what it looks like for the world to be made right. We will start to adopt and accept that view of what it looks like for us to live and thrive and flourish as human beings. And y'all listen, this is happening and I believe that God is calling us, he's calling his church to resist this first through prayer and different patterns of life. We're going to talk about a couple of things these next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about resistance through rest. Who's looking forward to that talk? We're going to talk about re resistance through relationships. Yo, God has called us to be a people who seek his face and his ways consistently through prayer. And listen to this. He promises us that if we do, he will meet us there. And he will bring us the hope that we long for. What we find in this text is we find a woman who is longing for hope. She's surrounded in darkness. You know, for a, a, widow, a widow in the first century, to lose her husband meant that she lost protections, that she lost rights. And more often than not, she actually lost property because it went to different sons. It went to different people within her family. And if no one was willing to take care of her, she was totally vulnerable. And what we have in this story is a vulnerable woman who's going to an unjust judge who doesn't care about people and he doesn't fear God. That, that's wickedness. If you go through and you study in the Old Testament, uh, Jehoshaphat, when, when he appointed judges, God told him to appoint judges who fear the Lord. So this is a direct callback to this. And what he's saying is this, is a wick, this isn't just a bad judge. This is a wicked judge but it's who she's going to to find justice. And it says that she beats his door down and she absolutely wears him out until she gets what she, what she needs. Why? Because she's relationally impoverished. She has no husband. She's economically impoverished. She's limited finances. She's socially impoverished. She has low social standings. And there's very little 
in the law of the day to protect her. Um, I studied some, uh, you know, Near East first century property law this week so that you wouldn't have to. And I just couldn't find anything in there that provided good protections for widows. And so what she's saying is that she actually has an enemy who's coming against her and who is exploiting her and her weakness. So not only has she lost her husband, not only is she relationally impoverished, not only is she economically impoverished, not only is she socially impoverished, she is someone who's preying on her and is actually taking advantage of her. And she's coming to a judge and saying, give me justice. You know, there's probably... No greater parallel of this in our time than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Although he was a man of great faith, a man of great gifting, he was still a marginalized minority in his day. But he chose not to let his social standing keep him from going to unjust judges and persist in asking for justice for himself and for his brothers and sisters. And here's what I believe kept Dr. King going. He had a view of, listen to me, who the true judge of this world is. And he insisted and he believed for the justice that God could bring. And this judge, this is God, gave him his value and his dignity. And despite what the world said at the time, he chose to view our world through the lens of what could be instead of simply what is. I believe that God has called us to be a people of prayer who get a vision for what the world could be with God as king instead of what the world presently is. Dr. King gathered with a group of faith-filled men and women in a church called Ebenezer. Everybody say Ebenezer. Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, go dogs, and they prayed. (laughs) Ebenezer means stone of help. If you go back and you look in the Old Testament, stones were used as memorials to remember what God had done. They would build these piles of stones to remember and to memorialize the victories of God. So he gathered with a group of people. He remembered what God had done before, and they had faith that God could do it again, and they prayed. I wonder if there's anywhere in your life where you're needing to have your faith stirred up and you're needing to pray. First point is this, God has called us to prayer. He's called us to pray with persistence and desperation. Let's look back at the passage again. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and what? Never give up. There was a judge in a certain city and he said, uh, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly and said, give me justice in my dispute with this enemy. There is no more persistent creature on the planet than a two and a half year old toddler. I have a spiritual gift of when I'm deeply focused on something, this is actually a symptom of intense ADD. Uh, with ADD, you're either totally distracted or you're unshakably focused. Okay. So when I am focused, my daughter will repeatedly go, daddy, 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 daddy. To the point where Callie will say, Bronson, your daughter's talking to you, man. (laughs) You not hear that? And I'm like, oh, I didn't hear it. (laughs) I was thinking about something unimportant. 
but I was deeply thinking about that thing. She will wear me out 100,000 times, the same tone, the same tone, every time, until I turn around and she'll say, Daddy, tell me a story. Or she'll go, Candy, Daddy. It's like, no, you got to go to the bathroom, and then you get candy. You know this. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Develop this level of persistence. Develop this level of resistance. He's saying, come to me with the same level of persistence as desperation as this widow. Listen, I I was thinking about this this morning. I think so often, one of the things that stops us from praying is we get what we prayed for, right? So often we get what we prayed for and we walk away from the one who brought it to us. I think one of the things that keeps us in prayer is an awareness of the hurt of the people around us. Um, There's a quote that I read uh, back this fall. We, We talked about it in the message on the problem of the church. But the reason that we come to church is it forces us to encounter the pain of others, which grounds us in the purposes of God. One of the things that keeps us praying is not just insisting on justice for ourselves personally, but seeing brokenness and injustice in other people's lives and going to God for those things. Um, I have a legacy in this in my family. Uh, my, in 2013, we, we lost my grandmother, Nana. It's my mom's mom. And uh, her dad, my papa, is kind of the spiritual patriarch of our family. And I got a photo I want to show you. Uh, this is papa doing what he always did, which is loving and caring for his wife. And she, she was in hospice. She suffered from dementia. And she was really at the end of her race. Uh, the last couple of years of her life, uh, she, she just w- was not there. But my grandfather uh, never accepted it. He had, Callie can testify to this, he had like a laundry basket full of pills and uh, experimental medicines and vitamins and just anything that he could give her, desperate to find something that would help with her Alzheimer's. And this is the day before that she passed and he was sitting at her bedside telling her that she was going to come through, giving her medications, and we're talking to the nurse, and it's heartbreaking, you know, to see that. And we said, what do we do? How do we get him to let go? And she said, you can't. She said, family hopes for each other. That's what we do. We don't give up. Y'all, this is what God's called us to as the church. God's called us to hope for each other, to believe for each other, to intercede for each other, to pray for each other, to beat down the doors of heaven for each other. You know, I, I just want to share a couple of uh, testimonies with you. Um, Asia, do you want to come up? I know we didn't talk about this. Do you want to share a little bit? Are you comfortable? You don't have to if you don't want to. Come on. We, we didn't plan this or do it in the last service, but I saw her sitting there. Um, this past year, y'all, God has done amazing things in, in our congregation. And I don't know how he's done it. Or I don't know why he's done it. But I want to share a couple stories, and I'm, I'm going to let you share your story. Um, Hannah Monroe, are you in here? Michael's in here. Michael, raise your hand. Uh, Hannah's mom. Uh, got diagnosed with stage four cancer uh, this past summer. And by October, she was 100% healed and cancer-free. We as a church joined with God and prayed for these things. Uh, Jude Howe, he was in the last service strapped to his mother. He's a baby who had kidney failure. And we as a church 
sought God and prayed and God healed his kidney. It's a good place to give the Lord a hand. Berkeley Harp had a kidney issue on the other side, another baby who was having issues, and we gathered and we joined as a church and we prayed, and Berkeley Harp has been healed, and her kidneys are 100% functioning. And then can you share your story? This is Asia. Asia is our little life pastor here. Come on, y'all give her a hand. Yeah, I have cars. <laughs> a little life pastor. Um, shortly, this time last year, almost a year to the day after my 36th birthday, I went in before spring break and uh, they found a tumor on my throat right next to my voice box. And anybody who knows me knows I like to talk. That was devastating. <laughs> I spent several months with no voice as well as going through chemo and radiation. Um, and they was like, you know, we would love to tell you it's going to be nine months and everything will be great, or it'll be six months, or it'll be a year. We honestly don't know. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. be fine. Everything's going to be great. Um, I had one of the worst days ever. I don't know if I ever told y'all this. One of the worst days ever of my radiation. The thing about radiation, while it's targeted and it kills the dead, can the bad cancer cells, it also targets your joints and your muscles. And I had a Sunday when I was here, and I'm telling you, it took everything in my body to even move. Tommy there, saw me coming up the sidewalk. He's like, you gonna make it? I'm like, yep, I'm getting there. I'm interviewing some people for little life. It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. I was in extreme pain. Um, and Bronson, as amazing as he is, I guess felt it and didn't even know it. I came into church, and he's like, hey, can we pray over you? And literally, all of my friends, before I knew it, was on top of me, kneeling, standing, boo-hooing, joining in with me in prayer. Two weeks later, I went in for to get another radiation set, like to move where the tumor was moving because it had shrunk just a millimeter, and they couldn't find it. Yeah, so much so, there were 13 doctors in a room looking at me going, we, we've checked everywhere. Like, we've, did, we've checked everywhere, and your tumor is like, we, can, we can't medically explain. I said, well, I can explain it. <laughs> His name is Jesus, so yeah, prayer. Praise God. One of, the, one of the doctors was in the last service. Um, y'all, does that not stir up your faith to pray? Like, what battles are you going through? What, what are you believing for? And y'all, let's be a people, let's be a church that petitions heaven for each other. And man, what could happen? If we're honest, I think for a lot of us, we'd say at one point, like I had this heart, like I had that faith early in my early in my relationship with Jesus. And maybe you got disheartened, disillusioned, or discouraged, disheartened through unanswered prayers. Y'all listen, there are people I know that don't have Asia's story and I don't know why. But I do know that God's ultimately in control. We get disillusioned just by the cares, worries of this life. We get discouraged by battles we're fighting, but victories we haven't seen. And if we're honest, it's almost like the fire's gone out. But what Jesus is doing is he's calling us to be tenacious. Everybody say tenacious. Tenacious and resolute in our faith in the middle of our ordeal. Now you'll notice 
This is a woman. He, uh, Jesus chose this example on purpose. This is a woman who has low social standings. Nothing is going right. She's in the middle of her ordeal. And what is she doing? She is beating down the door of the judge in the middle of our discouragement. When our prayers have not been answered, when we've seen failure after failure after failure, he's calling us to pray and to trust and have faith. This woman in the story knew who held the power to render a judgment in her favor, and she beat his door down. So question, who do you trust to render judgments and decisions for the way that you view the world, the way that you view life? Number two, God's promises. So number one, God's called us to pray with persistence and desperation. Number two, God's promised us so we can pray with confidence. Everybody say confidence. Come on, say confidence like you mean it. One more time. Confidence like you mean it. And faith. Callie said confidence like I mean it. Verse six. The Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision. Learn a a lesson from this wicked judge. It's better translated. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. If you don't think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant them justice quickly. We don't have to look far in our world to see that things are not quite as they should be. Amen? We don't have to look far to see that it's not working. In 2020 alone, now this isn't to mention the last 15 years where anxiety and depression disorders have been on a rise like never before in history. In 2020 alone, at the peak of these things, depression and anxiety disorders went up in the United States of America, 28 and 26% respectively. We as a culture are more confused about our identity as human beings than we have ever been before. We are rapidly adopting a secular view of what it means for God's kingdom to come. Now, the world wouldn't say that, but what the world would say is a a secular utopia or the way that things should be. The, The problem is, is that we've started to seek the kingdom as a nation, but we're not seeking the king. We want the kingdom, but we don't want the kingship and the lordship of Jesus, and it's not working. And what's happening as Christians, and maybe you would find yourself in this place, is our worldview and our beliefs and our convictions are starting to be shaped more by what the culture and the world, let's define that again, those are the systems and the views that tell us how life should be lived. We're starting to be defined more by the world outside than the word and by the God who's indwelling us and the God who designed us and the God who designed life. Jesus said this, Mark 4, 19. says, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, by the lure of wealth, and by the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. What can happen when we lose sight of God's vision of the world and how it should be is we start to hunger for the things of the world instead of the things of God. Who knows, whatever you feed yourself 
you hunger for, right? Talked about it last week. We crave sugar. You cut sugar out of your life for two weeks, you're gonna hurt. But you're not gonna crave sugar in the same way. What I'm challenging you with, where I wanna pastor you, is what are you feeding on? What's developing your worldview? Is it your social media feed that is tailored to your preferences and just to reinforce what you already think? Is it our news cycles that come on, we all know, right? Are pretty much just trying to keep our attention at all costs. Or is it by something that's more trustworthy, something that's eternal? You know, right now we're trying to get the kids on a schedule. Um, uh, And with twins, if they don't eat at the same time, Callie will only ever feed children, all right? And so right now we're trying to teach them when's nap time, right? When's eating time? Uh, When's time to sleep, which they haven't quite figured out yet. We're we're still working on that. But y'all, so often, and we can get caught in this as parents, is we get stuck in the temporary instead of the eternal, okay? So, so here's how it plays out. If Cal and I get stuck in the temporary and we say, this is too hard, this is too difficult, we're just going to let them do whatever they want, our world will descend in chaos and our entire house will burn down and we will die. <laughs> but if we have the ending in mind, which is them getting into a schedule, them getting into patterns, them getting into rhythms. And by the way, as parents, this never stops, is what I'm learning. This is a continual thing of training and teaching. And then at some point, it's like, please meet Jesus, because now you're on your own, right? But if, if we get focused on the temporary instead of the eternal, we can, we can get discouraged. There's something uh, in theology, you frame it like this. It's the already but not yet of the kingdom. Like, Jesus has already won the victory. The kingdom of heaven is already breaking into our world, but it's not yet the way that it should be. What has to happen is we have to remember what it says right here, that God will certainly bring justice. We pray with faith, not hoping that he will, but believing and knowing that he will. Amen? Then what's happening in the temporary get superseded by what's guaranteed in the eternal. Does that make sense? John Green puts it this way. He says, we certainly, or we have the certainty, excuse me, we have the certainty of God's justice and the call for resolute faithfulness in anticipation of that certainty. I'm going to say it again. We have the certainty of God's justice and the call for resolute faithfulness in anticipation of for that certainty. Consistent prayer is an act of conscious resistance against the ways, powers, and rhythms of the world. And what we're doing is we're inviting what already is in heaven to where it's not yet on earth. And we're praying, God, let it be here. Let it be in my life as it is in heaven. Amen? Jesus is encouraging us to stay plugged into God's vision of how things should be. In in our prayer life, we seek to close the gap between what already is and what presently is not. Number three. Number one, God's called us to pray with persistence. Number two, God's promised us we can pray with with confidence and faith. Number three, God has empowered us. Everybody say empowered. To pray with resistant hope. Luke 18, 8. 
It says, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? The, the widow is a model of perseverance and faithfulness in the midst of dark times. So here's the question. Where will God find you? When things are at their worst, where will God find you? The question that, that keeps me up at night as a church is will we as a people be found faithful, be found praying, be found together? Will we be the people, and I believe we will be, who are seeking him and believing his promise until the end? will be resistant to the ways of the culture, the systems of the world, the news cycle, and the never-ending consumerism of our world, and will become like Jesus. And I believe that we're moving into an age of the church uh, of spiritual renewal and revival. And when, when pastors say revival, like, be honest with you, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, we've had a lot of revivals, and like they take off, and then at some point they end, Right? I think a better way to frame it is what we're seeking is for the kingdom of God, for the ways of God to break into our world. Biblical justice is bringing things to the way that they should be, the way that God has designed them to be. You know, the word here for justice, and we're going to close with this, uh, is actually, it's the word vengeance, <laughs> Everybody say vengeance. Vengeance are, are punishment. Um, the, the Bible says that, that Jesus is the true judge of the world. That one day he will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. Scripture says over and over and over again, if you do a word study on this, the specific word for justice, it's used all throughout the New Testament. And it's often used where it says vengeance is the Lord's. It's the Lord's job to seek justice. And here's the truth. With Jesus as judge, we are all deserving, this is what the Bible says, of death and of separation from God based on the decisions that we make, the ways that we live, and the ways that we've rejected him as king, the ways that we've destroyed his creation, the ways that we've destroyed his plan, and we've lived in absolute rebellion from him. But the Bible says that while we were in rebellion, God was working his plan. You see, Jesus is the judge who sits in the seat of judgment. But when it comes time to pronounce the verdict, he climbs down off of the stand and he puts himself in the seat of the guilty. And he, re he removes us. And he says, the punishment that was intended and deserved by you, I will take on myself. And he was dragged out of the city. He was nailed to a cross. He was crucified by our, for our sin. And he rose again. And he said, this is my verdict, that you've been found right with God through the life that I've lived. And now you can go in freedom and you can pursue my ways. Yo, this is the gospel. 
this is what God has called us to. And what he says is that God designed us in the beginning with a plan and with a purpose. And through Jesus, he's restored us to that plan and purpose. And in this life, you can walk in the fullness of the purpose that God has for you. And that when our life of purpose is done, we will reign forever and ever and ever and ever with Jesus in the coming kingdom. And what God's called us to as Christians, if you're a Jesus follower, God has called us to carry that message, to carry that kingdom into every sphere we go. And did you know if you're a Jesus follower, everywhere you walk, that you walk in the will of God, the kingdom of God advances with you. And so here's my question. Where's your faith? Where's your prayer life? I don't say this to condemn you, but to stir you up, to stoke the fire of your life and say, y'all, let's not give up praying. Let's keep believing. What are the areas? I just want you to sit for a second. You've got some notes uh, in your seat. It says things I'm praying for, things I'm thankful for. I just want you to grab a pen. Start writing down some things that are in your life, or maybe in the world around you that you look at and you say, this is not how it should be. And let's start praying for these things. Amen. As you're doing that, I just want to read one more passage of scripture over you and the worship team can go ahead and start coming forward. We're going to go into a time of response. And like I said, this is going to be an extended time of response. Uh, If you have to go, I totally understand. You can move quietly towards the back, but it's Caleb's last weekend. And so we're just not going to rush through this, okay? This is for somebody today. Here's what it says. Verse 27, Isaiah 40. It says, O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. This is for us. He gives power to the weak. He gives strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. And I'm gonna add this. They will pray without giving up. They will seek the kingdom of God. Let it be us. Let it be in us. Let us be the people God's called us to be. Amen.